We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 122, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and my guest today is one of the guys who has provided so much English-language Barcelona content over the years and is making his second appearance on the show. It's Isaiah Cambron from the Barcelona Football Blog, and while we usually have Kevin Williams on, uh, this is uh, the guy who's just as important to uh, the Barcelona Football Blog, and uh, I'm happy you're back on the show. How are you doing this evening, Isaiah? I'm doing, I'm doing all right. Uh, thanks for considering me influential in anything. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, uh, Kevin Williams is always a name that we go to now, also writing for The Athletic, but uh, Isaiah, your opinions are as impressionable as always uh, online and in long form as well. But, you know, there's been a lot of news going on, and not just what's been discussed on your blog or on Barca Blog, but there's been a ton of match congestion, transfer rumors, and we found time to record a show. So let's get right into it. Today's La Gran Pagunta. How does Barcelona's transfer strategy affect the squad? And as we speak, Barcelona are being linked with Christian Stuani from Girona, also the third leading goal scorer in all of the Liga. And Isaiah, you and I were talking about this briefly off air. Nothing is confirmed yet, so I don't want to waste too much time on something that could just wind up being a rumor within two hours. Because the other thing that we were discussing is that all of these rumors kind of get out of control. And so, you know, firstly, is this a positive thing or, you know, and secondly is, again, what can we do about all this nonsense and white noise going on? Well, the rumor itself sounds um, a little nuts to me. Uh, I don't think it makes very much sense to invest in anything in a 32-year-old, but, or in a 32-year-old who, while good um, and may be a decent backup, isn't going to be your future at all. Um, Suarez doesn't look like he's going to be taking too much time off is he really going to accept a bench role uh stuani that is uh, going to accept a bench role for the time that we need him to do so or are we actually going to be investing even more money in another year and a half and having wasted sort of a squad spot and and that that to me gets right into the the the, the other part of your question about whether or not we can pay attention to any of this and i think the two schools are one you kind of play the game of, all right, well, where does this guy fit in with every name? Or you don't play the game at all. Or <laughs> you say, I didn't, I, I didn't hear that. I'm not interested. 
And it, you know, the speculation, of course, is is the question of whether we understand what the board is even trying to do, and and it's it's got to be kind of hidden uh, from us because if we if it's not, then obviously other teams will know exactly what to do to thwart those moves. Um, so it can it can it to me it's all made up. Um, the white noise, as you said, is. Uh, can lull you to sleep during January, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of matches. Yeah, I mean, what you see, some of those narratives is that, you know, the names that keep keep popping up that you know that Barcelona obviously are either, you know, wanting or or negotiating with or have already lost in a race on, whether it be Frankie de Jong or Adrian Rabio, those are the two that you hear more than any other. And you're getting into the point with these two in that, that cycle where Everybody has some news every three or four hours. I think De Young has already signed for both Barcelona and PSG on 12 different occasions just in the last 24 hours. And we are at that, as I mentioned, we're halfway through January. So we are at the exhaustive state of all those news. And, you know, whenever it, it goes back to these kind of rumors and, and everything that's happening with all that white noise, you go back to thinking about Barcelona's transfer strategy and what they've employed over the last few years. Now, while Abidal, what he's trying to do might be a little different than what his predecessors have done and his negotiations and the people that he knows. Now, obviously, we've already seen him play a little bit of his hand where he swoops in for a very, very young French defender where he clearly has some connections in France and he has pulled some strength there. But overall, Barcelona's transfer strategy is not to splash ridiculous amounts of money on XYZ guys that you know that they're going to buy. You think about their last big purchases over the last three, four seasons— they have come, even a guy like Rakitic all those years ago, it kind of happened overnight. And that's kind of been their MO, where no one had heard of, of Totibo by the time he signed for the club. So while De Jong would be this, you know, this golden goose, if you will, I, I think that the truth is always more so of players that we're not thinking about. And obviously, you know, there's a glaring hole now at the number nine position, and that's their focus, and that's what they're trying to do. And that kind of transitions us right into the best starting 11 conversation where we know that Luis Suarez is there, but behind him and around him, other than Messi, there are questions on who exactly in the midfield and that front line. And even at the right back position, who's the best that Barcelona can put out? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I don't like to necessarily think of it as a best 11 because it's clearly a best nine uh, since you have uh, Ter Stegen and goal and Messi. And then there are, nine other players around them they're going to be automatic starters no matter what formation you're playing in um so if you want a list for me the best 11 simply put is uh tostegan uh semedo at right back pk umtiti alba busquets rakitic artur dembele Messi and Suarez up front. I have a little bit of difference. The smallest difference is I just had Langley for Umtiti for the sheer reason that Umtiti even healthy. And this is an argument that we can have later in the Ronda, but I just think that, you know, Langley has proven enough to deserve that spot. Now, we both said Nelson Semedo, and I did want to just interject. And I have that as dependent on the opponent because of what we've seen, Nelson Semedo, uh, he's... He still has not done what everyone expects him to do offensively, but Sergio Roberto, in times when opponents have a, a, a dearth of speed out on the wings, Roberto has been exposed in those instances, and I don't think one is better than the other. They just do entirely different things at right back. 
So what is your reasoning for picking Semedo? Mine was that in a big, if you were to pick a starting 11, I always think of it for the Champions League final, you go with Semedo just because of the, the defensive responsibilities and you trust your attackers in that kind of big moment game. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that uh, it's the defensive abilities. He's, he's he's definitely better at defense. He's not as good necessarily at transitions uh, offensively, but he's getting better and better with each match that he plays. And I think that the gap between him and Sergio Roberto is pretty small at this point offensively. It can feel a little bit like. Sergi is so much better offensively, but I think that's because he's sacrificing his defense entirely for it. Um, if, like you said, I do think it is somewhat de- uh, opponent dependent. Um, you could also make the argument that our best eleven is a three-four-three. Mm-hmm. I don't. Again, it matters whether we're talking about someone who's injured or not. Whether we can include Umtiti, who, who I will say, I think is. Uh, quite a bit better than Langley when fully fit. Yeah, I think his ceiling um, is higher. I agree with that. Yeah, right. And I think 100%. that's another part of the Semedo argument for me is that he's growing and he's learning and it feels like Sergio Roberto is at the top of his game. Like he's that like Sergio Roberto is not going to get not going to become a better right back. It seems like he's very much going to become a better right back. And that's that's one thing where maybe I'm incorporating a little bit of the potential uh, over, uh, you know what I what I think is Sergio Roberto's top end game. I mean, I, they're they're pretty close in age, so it's it's a little weird to think of Semedo as kind of up and coming and Sergio Roberto as totally you know done yeah. growing. I should say he's, he's still he's still quite good, and I think he's an extremely good squad player. I think he can can move up and down. And I think one thing that Valverde has done pretty well with Roberto is to push him into midfield or I'm sorry, start him in midfield and then pull him back to right back when, when we need to make a change there. And that's one thing that I think that Sergio Roberto does very well. I mean, he's obviously physically capable of running forever. He doesn't look like it. You know, he looks like he has that bright red face after about four (laughs) minutes. Yeah. But he, but at the end of the end of the match, he does that run against Madrid in the Clasico that, that uh, at 2-2 that led to Messi's uh, last and, second goal. And that's a good note about Roberto as well. He has a way of, of getting, of raising his level for certain opponents that you've noticed that he does play. Yes, he had the red card against Madrid uh, in the past, but he finds a way not to the best of opponents, but certain opponents that Roberto seems to have vendettas against, and he raises his game to them. Um, now, the other ones missing out in that, other than Roberto, then of course we had the Lang Lang Titi, but we both picked Arthur over Vidal, and we both picked Dembele over Coutinho. Um, and I, we're going to answer that in La Ronda, so we're going to put a pin in that. And I do want to think about the transfer of Coutinho in a way that, you know, while he did have a, a good match against Ibar, you know, you find that it is much harder to discard players within the system um, than it is expensive transfers, where Coutinho is in a situation where, obviously, because of his price tag, he has to work out in some way, correct? Like, is there is, it, is there a world where Coutinho doesn't find form and he doesn't find a proper place at Barcelona? I don't see how that all happens just because there's necessity for it to occur. Yeah, I think that's. I think there's definitely a lot of pressure there, and I think that that probably weighs a little bit on how you use him and, and when you use him or how often you use him. Uh, I think for me the problem with Coutinho is that he was a panic buy 
we felt like a panic purchase. We lost Neymar, and suddenly we said, no, we'd been looking at this guy to kind of compliment Neymar on the left and and really give us uh, a well-rounded attack that kind of, you know, he can shift into the middle. He can play passes really well. He works well with Neymar on the, in the international level. Uh, we can fit him in to this kind of how we were building our squad. Suddenly Neymar has gone. And instead of saying, okay, does Coutinho make sense moving forward now? If one of the reasons we were going to bring him, or maybe the reason we were going to bring him is no longer there. Why are we going to, you know, put all this money on someone who may do well. And, and that's not, that's not to take anything away from Coutinho. He's an extremely good player. However, it doesn't, always have to be the case that an extremely good player should play for a particular squad right. uh, or, or that, that, you know, two players who are really good are necessarily going to play really well together. Um, and I think that a lot of times I feel that Coutinho is, is looking to take over the space that Messi's already occupying. Coutinho wants to cut into the middle. Coutinho wants to be, you know, linking up in the middle there with the ball. Only Messi's there and Messi's better. Okay. And simply put, you're not going to take Messi's spot. And he just doesn't feel like he's going to the left wing, that he plays well out there. Yeah. That, that's, that doesn't feel like that's a good spot for him. And that's, that's, that's a difficult position to be in. You just purchased this guy for however many millions of euros. And I don't know what the final tally was, and something like $150 million, right? Right. And he, you, you, you see this huge investment. You want it to come good. Uh, my suggestion would be to move on as well as possible to, to get someone to pay, call it a hundred million, 110 million for him and recoup that money as best as possible. Just move on. It didn't work that well. And that, that's not to say that Coutinho isn't good or that it can't work if you, if you change your squad or change your tactics the right way. But if, if we're going to continue the way we are, it's not working and that's okay. Well, yeah, and the other thing I think about, too, with the inclusion of guys like Vidal um, or and potentially an experienced number nine that they're looking for in the January window, um, you think about the heroics of Henrik all that time ago. But looking at the success of Marco Correa at Ibar, which we just saw last weekend, Andre Gomes, who's had a pretty good season at Everton as well, why doesn't Barcelona utilize their loans better? And instead, it feels like their strategy. Now, I do put Coutinho and Dembele, as we, as we mentioned, in a different category. They were panic buys. We're going to say that that's what they were. They're, they were panic buys expected to be, you know, be this big four, if you will, as attackers with Messi and Suarez up top. But then you have the rest of the squad where Vidal was brought in to be an experienced presence in the midfield because there just wasn't enough trusted experience and depth in the midfield you know, below that and behind him. And that is, to a sense, proven to be right when the likes of Rafinha getting injured once again, Samper can never get right. You go down the list, and then Carlos Elena is the next name you've mentioned. And if Elena continues, yes, he got some Copa del Rey time, but if they get knocked out, let's say, um, uh, this coming week, or by the time you have this in your years, maybe they've already advanced or, or got, gotten knocked out. But nevertheless, for Elena, that's a guy that it does make sense to send him out on loan if he's getting this kind of playing time, right? Where I know he's a part of the, the, the team and you get better training with Messi every day. That's a good argument as well. But I don't understand why Barcelona, I don't want them to be like Chelsea and you loan out your whole world. And yet the only guys you ever play are the ones that you bought these superstars. And so you never utilize any of your young players anyway, and you just sell them off later. That's not what I'm trying to build. I'm not trying to build that kind of market with Barcelona. I'm saying, why do not they allow guys to, 
to excel at other clubs and then bring them back in a way that Kukurea might be the, the case of. I, I, that's just a transfer strategy that I've never understood. I think that, for me, the main answer to that question is simply that Barcelona is at a different level. It's, it's one of those things where if you, if you are going to make it, if you're, if you, then you have the skills that are obvious. Those, then those obvious skills are a step ahead of, of everyone else. And it's, it's hard. Sometimes it can be really hard to, to, to accept that, say, a Denis Suarez probably isn't good enough. Well, I'm not saying, well, I, I don't think I'm saying that he would ever be good enough. But I, I think, again, the idea about the loaning him out and, you know, recouping, recouping a, a better option on him. Now, the Paco Alcacer, it seems like this summer was a little different. The loan to Dortmund for Alcacer made a lot of sense. The player needed it, and it made sense for him to, you know, especially with a striker, where if they're not banging in goals, they're not worth anything. So he was able to put up his market value, and Dortmund willingly paid it because of that loan. But I don't think it's, you know, I, I think back to the last 10 years, and I don't think Barcelona are very privy to that. And even in, you know, the youth academy, they're building this thing, and they're playing, you know, in the system. The, the Barca B players have stayed at the club, and we've seen Pimienta. Again, there seems to be a little bit of a new era working out since, you know, Abidal and Pimienta replacing, uh, uh, replacing the, the manager, Gerard, at Barcelona B. And things are a little different, but the only guys who ever get sent out on loan between the ages of 19 and 22 are basically the guys that you clearly know will not wind up at the club. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a, that's a factor of contract length. Um, I think that with, with loans, my, my biggest thing is that I, I don't think you're going to get the level of play. And I think you, you suggested it before you're playing with Messi every day. You're playing with Suarez, you're playing with, uh, PK, you're playing with guys who are going to, to really up your game, uh, to the level where it needs to be. And if you, I don't know, part, part of it's the way that, that Valverde has worked his squad sort of to death. It makes you feel like, oh, the, there should be more cycling through the kind of squad players. Yeah. Like the, and, and that, and I can, I can totally understand that. I, I get the idea that, okay, we actually do need backups for some of these guys. And you can't, you can't necessarily get those guys without having them get playing time. They weren't going to reach the level that they need to. And that's the difficulty that a place like Barcelona is going to find itself regularly, uh, simply because you can't have both things at once. You can't have someone out on loan and training with Messi at the same time. In the same respect, uh, most of the clubs around the world have the same issues. That when you see other La Liga teams that aren't as deep, that you know, let's say a team finally jumps up and plays in the Europa League for the first time, they're going to find that their squad is not near deep enough. And so they wind up, you know, over-exhausting everybody, crashing out. I think back to, you know, in the Bundesliga last season where Colm had made the Europa League and they were just completely beleaguered when it came to fitness and being able to survive and they just didn't have the depth. And now that's why you see other clubs a lot of the times using 17, 18-year-old kids from their academy because they just don't have the legs and the horses to be able to compete across all these different competitions when they're competing on multiple fronts. So when you continue on in all of your different competitions and tournaments, that creates that issue. And a lot of clubs, again, wind up using youth almost out of necessity. And, and a club like Barcelona, as you mentioned, they're trying to compete and win on all three fronts. And I think that's kind of a perfect transition into La Ronda. We're going to start with a question from Charlie. How is Valverde going to approach this week's Copa del Rey? Now, we're going to be quick on this in case you don't you have this in your ears after that game, but hopefully you've listened to it and we've got a few more days. Again, that one coming up on Thursday. Do you think he should rest the key players again or go and try 
all in on the second leg for the cup and the victory. Again, they already have an away goal, so they really just even a one nothing at home would win them the the tie. Yeah, I think you have to rotate. I think you have to keep it so that uh, that the players who don't get a lot of playing time play. Um, this is this is that moment where you you maybe you lose and you get bounced, but that doesn't hurt a club like Barcelona who has won the tournament four years in a row. Let's actually use it as a, a second tier cup competition. Let's actually act like, and I've, I mean, I've been preaching this for I don't know how many years now, 10, 15, whatever. Use it for youth. Use it to uh, to get your players kind of blooded, as we say, right? Mm-hmm. Give them the chance to really play in an actual competition where the opponents are at a good level. They're able to, you know, I mean, Levante played really hard. They did a really good job and uh, of really pressuring Barcelona, and that was actually probably an extremely important set of lessons for those players. I mean, we watched Miranda, and we watched Chumi, and we watched uh, Alenia, and they they had to figure out what to do in a, in a real game situation. That that's invaluable training. If they lose, you could say, "Oh, well, that'll hurt their." their approach that'll you know make them feel bad but if they feel bad about losing then maybe they'll get better or then you'll know that they don't they won't work out yeah because if you can't handle that pressure of the copa del rey you're not going to handle the pressure of the champions league and you're not going to handle the pressure of a do or die at at the 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 wanda right right Mm -hmm. so if you're if you're worried about that I, i i say stick with stick with the kids for the for the copa and that's that's what we need to do. Yeah, I mean Moses Simon, Boateng, Emmanuel Boateng, Jose Morales, those guys, you know, they're the top wingers at Levante and they all played and featured in that match. But again, Elenia, we've been waiting on him for years and he's clearly up to it and ready for it. He should play another 90. And you could expect from the Ibar rotation exactly what really the 11 probably will be. We saw Dembele obviously now start against Ibar. You expect him to start. Same thing, Eleni never came off the bench. He probably will get 90. He's a first-team player. And so the guys that are even first-team player, you know, yes, we're going to still long for the days of, of, of Huawei and Puj and the future, but uh, Alenia is the future now. And so, again, he's a guy, more than anything else, needs to be playing the 90. Well, let's Absolutely, go- I agree. Yeah, we need, we need to see those guys. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that that helps, that helps us see them as fans. It helps us to kind of understand them better because you can say all you want about uh, – you know Miranda on the and say and then you watch him play and maybe you have a different opinion after the after you watch him and I think that's really important to kind of understand where these guys are level wise what work we need to do with them and kind of temper our own expectations of them as well or or increase them if they do really well obviously well let's go back to our our top first team guys and go back to that Coutinho conversation uh, De- Daniel asks, everyone wants to know, can Messi, Suarez, Dembele, and Coutinho play in the same lineup without sacrificing balance? Maybe the better question is, will they? And, you know, I- Isaiah, I think you would agree the only way that this really winds up being possible, obviously, is having the two center backs, I mean, sorry, the, the two defensive midfielders in Rakitic and Busquets, and then Coutinho kind of playing in, you know, let's say a, a floating hybrid 10. Messi, in theory, out on this right wing, and Suarez up top with... Dembele out on the left, and then you need a, and then the right back is going to be pushing almost as a wing back as well. And I think that's really the only formation 
I think I added that all up right, correct? We'd have a, a well, four, you could play a three four three, a four three three, yeah, or right, and, or, or yeah, you could play a three four three, and then that might that might work, but it's it would it would mean that the the opponent wouldn't wouldn't be filling gaps. I just don't think it works again at a high level. No, because you think about the, defensive responsibilities more than you think yeah, about the attacking exactly. threat. The attacking threat is amazing, but where you know Messi, <laughs> for all of for all of what he can do moving forward, you know there aren't. He doesn't always come back, and he's going to have to occupy some kind of space out on the wing or somewhere. I mean, one of Coutinho and Messi has got to kind of live for a portion of the game out on the wing, or as we saw a failed experiment with Luis Suarez when he was kind of pushed to that left wing uh, early on as well. So I think it just it, it's not something that's going to work. But speaking with Messi, we're going to keep it going. Watham does ask Messi reaching 400 league goals. Can we have an analysis of his most important goals and big this team performances? So I think instead, Isaiah, we're going to have plenty of messy shows. We're going to be talking about him. This is the Barcelona podcast. You might as well rename it also the Barcelona podcast. We talk about Messi as a tagline. So I'm just going to ask you your favorite, I guess, goal and big game performance. And it might just be the same thing. So uh, the, the goal that always jumps into my head when people ask, like, what's, a, what's an amazing messy goal is uh, the goal in the 2008 uh, season, 2008-2009, I believe. Um, season against Osasuna in the fog, mm-hmm. where you know, we were down two to one. Xavi scores two two, and then you know, I think it was the eighty fifth minute. Uh, Messi gets the ball and drills in a shot from well outside the box, and I just that 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 moment was one where I knew we were going to win the title. It was a huge game for us. It was a comeback win, and it was Messi sort of taking over and. Uh, this is 2008-2009, so you know this is Messi in his ascendancy, really, and that that you just you just knew right then that this that Messi wasn't you knew he was good, you knew he was really good, you knew he was kind of getting to the the like unfathomably great stage, and that's when you knew right then for sure that was that he was going to be, if not the greatest of all time, in the conversation. Yeah, and whenever I see the list of, of clubs that he scored against, Osasuna, I think, is number four or five on the list. And that just shows you that, you know, they've been in the Segunda division a bunch in the last decade. That just tells you how much he scored against them in their in the times and years that they were in the Liga or, you know, they faced them in other competition. Um, yeah, Messi loves scoring against Osasuna. And he had historically over his career. And for me, I, I go to the height of his power. If you go to the rise of Messi, I go to the height. And that being in against Man United 2011 Champions League final, he scores the second goal that winds up being the winning goal. And not only was that one of his best performances, but that was, you know, maybe the club's best performance ever on the field. And so I always kind of, you know, connect the two that when we saw Messi and Xavi and Iniesta really at the height of what all of that could be. Um, I always think of that Champions League final. And also, you know, you think even, you know, this might be recency bias, but the goal he scores against Real Madrid, takes his shirt off, shows the 10. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> that's that, that's why we watch. That's why we care. That's what this whole sport, that's why we watch football, uh, you know, at large. That we, Just to see those, those last-minute gas where, you know, you played an hour and a half and then everything is on the line, and then your hero comes up in the biggest of moments in, in you know, one of the most difficult places to play, and he, and he does it all. Um, yeah, and, I mean, that's quite that's quite the goal there that that uh, that winner yeah. and then holding up the shirt. Yeah, I mean, there's I was uh, I was at a uh, at a bar and we had a and my friend had a bachelorette party that day. That was her 
sort of a gift from the gods. <laughs> well, so it was a it was quite a fun quite a fun moment for for everyone. Well, it's funny we do talk about Messi because Armin asked. There has been an increase in anti-Messi comments. I know how is this possible when we just were you know again this is the Barcelona podcast. This is what you're expecting when we talk about Messi. But there's some anti-Messi comments coming from footballing legends Pele, uh, Diego Maradona, um, and then. You know, and even in other players, uh, you know, whether it's South America, a lot of times it's South American players, but we've seen certain Italian, older Italian players, or um, obviously a lot of guys who support Ronaldo kind of ignore that. But, you know, what do you think they're, the, re- the particular reason for all these older legends making certain comments where they, they compliment him as one of the best ever, and then they say a but, and they add that at the end? Is it just for their own legacy? Or, you know, I also think this could be taken out of context as well to a point, but also Maradona's little. You know, he's he's had his issues. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, Maradona aside, uh, I always think of the 1972 Dolphins, who were uh, undefeated uh, NFL team. Yep. And for a long time, they when there had not been uh, an undefeated regular season team, whenever the the then last undefeated team lost a game, they would apparently get together and celebrate. And I don't know if that's. Uh, you know, apocryphal or just a myth or whatever. But I I think of that because that's what it feels like when people talk about Messi and and don't really acknowledge what he what he does. Uh, it just sort of feels like oh well, I want to try to find something that was negative and celebrate that because it will make my legacy stand taller. And it and what's funny to me is that he's passed all of them. It doesn't. It's it's as if the seventy two Dolphins are still celebrating today even though there have there has been an undefeated regular season uh, team right so yeah. it's funny you know but I, I yeah I don't I don't I don't put any stock in it simply because one Maradona has issues Pele says things to try to stay relevant and uh, uh, the other ones I I simply haven't read right yeah I mean if you didn't think you were gonna get a, a 1972 mercury mercury Morris reference uh, on, on the show again I think that's actually why people tune into the show but another guy who gets a little bit more of a shake than Mercury Morris here is Kike Setien question from Deb Deep after watching Batiste clearly dominate the second half of their fixture versus Real Madrid with a pass and play method of playing despite the result can it be safely assumed that Setien at Barca would probably be exponentially better given the squad quality and resources available at Barca um, and for Deb Deep you know, I'd like to refer you back to the Barcelona podcast 113 with Mike Miller, where we profiled Kike Setien and made the case for him at Barcelona. But let's tie this in with a question actually from Rick, where the, I think my issues with Setien is that the, the, the way they play with the three center backs and the way they play that pass and play, you know, and they press in the way they do. Again, it does look a lot like, you know, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. That's why people are, you know, it's registering with people. But Rick asks about another clean sheet. You know, Langley has been good. But, you know, that defense, I think, is still susceptible to some issues where PK just doesn't have the foot speed and closeout speed that he used to. And so regardless of who's the manager, you know, be it if they play Setien's way, that is going to expose the, the back line a ton. And if you do not have a younger back line or guys who have the speed that Alba has and might not have in the next two years or, you know, even a guy like Roberto is not necessarily that upper, upper top level of speed to close out and get back and, and snuff out counterattacks where I think that's still the fear with Setien uh, and basically any guy that's going to be playing that possession style and aggressive style up the field. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of squad questions when you change the tactics kind of that dramatically. 
And I do think that is a dramatic change because Valverde, while he is capable of switching his his formations and, and lineups, it is pretty tied to a four three three. You know, the vast majority of the time. Um, if, if and I don't watch a ton of Batiste, but I understand it's more of a three four three or three five two, possibly depending on how you you know move your chess pieces around. But I, I just don't. I just don't really. I just really know to answer one question. Uh, yeah, theoretically, he would be better if he had better players. But that's not necessarily how it really works. Setien hasn't had an important position yet. Uh, I mean, he's managed Racing, Poliegido, Logroñez, Lugo, Las Palmas, now Betis, mm-hmm. and, and also Equatorial Guinea. So it's not like you can point to his track record and say look, he's obviously going to be amazing. It's That's still a question. I don't know. I mean, it's he's he's never had a better than 50% win record yep. at any of his at any of his clubs. And, you know, that's probably not the best uh, the, the best precursor you know, to say like, oh, he's done. OK, so I would I would approach that appointment with some skepticism uh, now. Look, I would I would want it to succeed, of course. I would want it to be great. I would want him to be able to implement a perfect system that gave us the beautiful football that we had before and, and all of that. But I don't know that that's what you're going to get. Um, you have, I think you have to have the players. You have to have the players to have that, that kind of system. Yeah, and- you do end up with a question of um, squad building. And then, like we talked earlier, uh, it it does matter what the the board is trying to do, or, you know, what the technical staff is 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 trying to accomplish right now. And I think that over the next couple of days, we're going to see a couple more pieces kind of fall into place. Now, I would again, there like we said, there's tons of white noise, but at some point, we're going to see a sudden, oh yeah, we got that person. It'll come out of nowhere like Malcolm. It'll uh, it'll just suddenly exist. Uh, you know, we'll say, oh, okay, and then we can move on with kind of discussing. Oh, look what they were trying to do. Oh, they're trying to fit this in. You know, do you get a a Delict? Do you get a De Jong? Do you get some uh, a Rabio? Do you have those big names, and and that'll that'll answer some of our questions. If I think if you have uh, a really good backline, then you're talking a better chance that somebody like Setien can can succeed. Yeah, I think uh, I want to just pull a note out of your your, your compatriots book and uh with, with kevin always says that it is a chicken and the egg argument now and i think the point with world football that is it system comes first and you find players that fit the system or is it that you have certain players so you play them within a system that works for those players and i think so many clubs you saw jose Mourinho at man united and you know i, I think a lot of those those top level managers who come in they bring their distinct style that's the problem you get with them is that they need players to fit their style, but I think for Barcelona, you got to find somebody that fits the, the the players that you have, and then you yeah, go forward. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a lot there, and that's, a, that's probably we could talk about that for an entire podcast. Yeah. Uh, the, the question of whether <laughs> you want to to force people into a role, like what I was saying about Coutinho earlier, you want to force him to kind of change his way of thinking in order to fit something, or do you adapt around him? I think personally that there's only like three or four players in the entire world that you need, you want to change your team. Around. And we ha- and we have one of those. We That's have two prob- of them. Or I guess so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we yeah, not counting Coutinho. We have the other crazy. one. Yeah, right. 
you have and, many. And Coutinho is not one of them. And that doesn't mean Coutinho is bad because I don't. I also don't think that uh, that you have uh, anyone really else who's available that you would want to do that with. There. I mean, there's Neymar, there's Messi, and and then I start to sort of wonder if I'm stretching it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's how that's how exclusive that group is. That there there may be three or four other names that you can put in there. You know, people will say Mbappe is one guy who's going to be one for the super future. You you have people who are going to argue Azard. People are going to still say Cristiano's name for some reason, and and be wrong. And you're going to have that. But the, it's really it's a very very exclusive group. And if you have you want to set your tactics first, you want to set your approach, and you should be flexible. You should be able to change it around. But you want to you want to build your squad for a reason, not build a squad of big names and then force them to kind of relearn their game. And I've always I've always thought that you know you've seen with when Pirlo particularly at Milan I think about him that you know the way Barcelona has played they've actually always wanted to build through the midfield and they've wanted to build their team around midfielders and the way that Pirlo played as that defensive midfielder Milan structured the rest of their team around him and you know at the moment you know with an aging Busquets Barcelona doesn't necessarily have that midfield that they completely build around that's why people so are so enamored with uh, the likes of Frankie de Young but let's finish this one off by talking about the forward line one more time. We've got some questions about Suarez and the one coming from Ted. Why the big concern to buy a striker to back up Suarez? Now, Ted kind of believes that there are some other options that play either Messi, Coutinho, Dembele, Malcolm, uh, or even Elena at a false nine. And do you think that's something that would work, Isaiah? Elena at a false nine? No. I just don't think that that's not his style. I don't think that's what I've seen of him. And, and granted, it's a it's a small sample size, but it's he, he's a midfielder, and I don't think you want to force him to to have to step into that. He's not a goal scorer. While we say okay, false nine, that guy has to be a goal scorer. It has to be a threat because otherwise, it's just another midfielder. Yeah. What well, you, what about the other ones in Messi yeah. and Dembele? Well, all right. So the front line. Doesn't work with Coutinho. Maybe I'll answer this sort of in the negative. It doesn't work with Coutinho because of the defensive problems. I think there's a there's a spacing question. I think there's a question of transitions to that forward line, and that's where a guy like Artur is basically your answer to the front line. Um, the reason Artur is so good is because he's playing sort of that jobby role, that kind of in between. He's not a box to box guy. He can, but he controls the flow up to that level, and. That's what's so important and why Coutinho either has to be that role or he doesn't really fit because there's that role is filled and that we create that role by having Busi and we sacrifice we sacrifice the, the that transition by having Busi in the back. So then we have to fill that. So if you have pull Busi backwards, you can spread your your wing backs and then you have you have to have some sort of connection in there. And that's Artur. If that's going to be Coutinho, that would be fine. But then he would have to play the defensive role that Artur plays as well. And if you notice, Artur is not really often getting towards the box. He'll get up to it a little bit, but he, he's not really crashing it through it like Coutinho is. And that's where Coutinho is best. He's, he's best moving forward, uh, often with the ball on his feet. Uh, Artur is head up, look around, pass. That incisive pass is what allows a guy like Dembele to make a move. It's what allows Messi to kind of drift off and do that thing that Messi does where he disappears even though he's the greatest player of all time and everyone's looking for him. <laughs> yep. And 
which is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in football, where you're, you're looking right at that guy and everyone sort of just watches him disappear. And, and then Suarez does whatever Suarez does, which is a combination of being absolutely horrible and then suddenly popping up and being amazing and then going back to being horrible for another three weeks. Um, though he's been very good recently. He's been very good. He's been very attentive to his runs. And he's, been, he's looked really, really good. He's looked like the Suarez of three years ago rather than the Suarez of the last two years. Um, those guys together, when you get them all together, you, you, you need that space. You need that kind of that brilliant movement where the ball kind of pings around. I think you crowd it too much with a guy like Coutinho. So the front three really works well, I think, Dembele, Suarez, and Messi because they understand their spacing. Dembele's really coming into it now. He can switch left to right and seems to be doing a better job of of doing so, like of doing that at the right moment. And Coutinho doesn't switch sides. He doesn't float to the right. And that means that when Messi cuts to the middle, that right wing is kind of isolated. The right back can, can tuck in or counterattack. So it's all, it's all system, right? It's right. all whether you know how you want to approach it do you want to retain possession like we seem to and that that pushes over to the question of Rakitic he's the guy who shuttles up and down and keeps Messi's uh side from being overloaded on the defensive end he does both the whole combination up front and drops back um and that's why I don't think any of the the criticism of Rakitic is particularly warranted yeah I mean I, I agree that I think you know as you as you mentioned, you know, to come kind of sum it all up, that putting any of those other guys other than a Suarez or or not even a prototypical nine, but a guy that is a target forward that has a certain role and does a certain job, if we don't have that guy, then you do lose something almost de- more so defensively even than you do offensively, and I think that's what people don't uh, you know think about. Where even if Dembele or Coutinho is banging in goals, playing as this quote unquote false nine, you know they're they're not doing the same thing and spacing is off because of where they need to occupy. Um, themselves on the field and we saw Dembele kind of play as that false nine uh, against Levante in the first leg of the Copa del Rey and it's there was something that just wasn't working with spacing um, it, you know and he just he's not physical do... enough he's right. not physical enough Suarez yeah. is super physical with all of his defenders he gets in uh, he gets into them he forces them to wear themselves out defending him he best the best Suarez is the Suarez that's making the run off the ball and he really makes those runs I mean there was that pass um, what a week ago, where uh, Messi just cut the ball between everyone, and there was Suarez. He, he, he passed it through five guys, and there was Suarez because Suarez made a run that nobody else makes there, and that run that that wears the the defender out, and that's a huge thing, and 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 that's another thing that in that question that you asked, Suarez is going to wear himself out. We have to, we have to replace him. He has to be replaced. He's not. He's thirty one, which isn't you know doesn't sound very old, but especially not since I'm on the other side of thirty one. But he's not going to last very much longer at a high level. And once he's gone, who's going to fill that gap? And, and it's not it's not Christian Stuani, I don't think. Yeah, I mean that kind of does bring it all full circle, doesn't it? And and Benno had asked how do we how do you think or how do you think we'll do after Messi retires and so as we wrap the show up Benno the answer to that would be you're just gonna have to keep listening to the Barcelona well, podcast we're I guess have to and, light ourselves on fire well, yeah. and hope for the best yep we're not gonna think about that now I think yeah, Suarez yeah, not happening. Suarez and Pique are next in line Rakitic Busquets are after that and I think even though Messi is older than Busquets you just look at you know the way they're the wear and tear on their bodies and the way that Messi is still able to work with a game I think he's gonna be the last of the four or five that are gonna need to be replaced and again we'll worry about that he's when 
never happen. going to retire. He's going to last forever. <laughs> Everything is going to be a-okay. Of course. Um, so, Isaiah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I just want to ask before you leave, where else can people find you? Well, there's the uh, Barcelona Football Blog. It's, uh, it's our home. Um, you know, uh, like you mentioned before, uh, my co-writer, co-founder, uh, Kevin, is, uh, is there with the writing more often than I am. But uh, Barcelona Football Blog, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, FCB Football Blog. And uh, I'm happy to take your questions and uh, your criticisms. And all that will be in the show notes for you to click on. And so, again, thanks to you so much, the listeners, for tuning in. Again, tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media as well. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 for me. And on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, our closed Facebook group where all these listener questions came from in La Ronda is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. And you can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And again, another reminder about the Patreon as well, that over the last few weeks, and now we're getting on over a month, I've been doing quick take match reviews. So that's where you can get those quick take match reviews on the Patreon. It's kind of a gift to you guys for helping continue to keep the lights on. And again, as you'll notice, we don't have sponsors here on the Barcelona podcast. So the only thing we have to kind of, you know, not only pay for equipment, but kind of just keep the lights on here uh, when it comes to all the different costs of running a podcast, that comes from the Patreon. They're so important. So again, you can help us out over there at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. So again, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.